Hey ladies and gentlemen, this is Jeff Edwards, one of the hosts of It's a Nerd Thing. We are just putting out a small disclaimer. We do use a lot of adult language and talk about adult situations. So if you do not want children listening to that kind of subject matter, don't have them listen. episode of It's a Nerd Thing. I'm your host, Jeff Edwards. From Parts Unknown, John Harrigan. And, we and have guest a Derek Stevenson. Oops, sorry. <laughs> and no, it's like he said, we have a special guest, Derek. I kind of talked over him, sorry. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. Today we're going to be doing our quarantine episode with a little Tarantine. No. <laughs> That's right, people. I just did a horrible, <laughs> horrible pun. Yeah, this is... Uh, probably been a year since we've recorded i think somewhere around there it's been a really long time we have derek on here again today we're going to be talking about quentin tarantino his movies and just all the kind of stuff we normally talk about so let's just kind of catch up how's things going on your sites guys i'm a week into this quarantine thing and i've already been reduced to uh, eating small bugs that have entered <laughs> my cave <laughs> I'm starting to hallucinate, and I think I might be going insane. How about you guys? Hanging in there, man. Hanging in there. Working a lot on just audio work and whatnot. At first, I feel like it was a little weird. I got pretty comfortable, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited to get back to work in the normal world and being able to go get a beer somewhere and eat food somewhere. But for now, I mean, I like video games. I like working on music. I'm kind of a recluse at the moment, and I'm uh, okay with it. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I've been trying to do a billion projects. I honestly have a huge, huge list of things. When I first found out that we were going into quarantine, I made this huge, giant list, and I'm like 75% through it, and I'm still like, do I really need to be doing this right now? <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm an introvert, so this hasn't been too bad for me, but getting back to work is actually something I'm looking forward to, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. After like two weeks of this... Kind of chopping at the bit to like, do something that's not within like, the same four walls. Right. Or at least getting paid for it. And yeah, the only time I've gone out has been to go grocery shopping or something. Even that's been a saving grace, weirdly enough. Grocery shopping is a treat. That's where we're at. I've done a couple walks on the park with my girlfriend. It's just getting fresh air out in the sun and it's it's nice. It's like things you take for granted in these times. Yeah, I've actually been walking a lot. I'll probably go an hour walk or maybe two, depending, just because there's only so much I can look at a screen working in Photoshop or researching special effects things. Oh, for people who are not aware, Neil Gorton, the man behind Millennium Effects, Doctor Who Special Effects, they are doing free classes for special effects until April 15th. It might get extended. I'm not sure yet, but... If you just go on to GortonStudios.com, yeah, you can access one month free of their program. It's pretty cool. I've been actually watching a lot of those videos myself. 
this isn't a sponsored plug or anything. I just thought it would be really interesting for people to know. But it could be sponsored. Love. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> like you both. I said it could be time. sponsored. Yeah. Uh, Intense. It should be sponsored. Yeah, exactly. Coffee <laughs> sponsor would be nice too because we're all drinking some coffee right now. <laughs> oh yeah, it's essential for a podcast to have coffee. Exactly. All right. I do want to put a small disclaimer out there. Our audio is maybe a little wacky right now. We were having some technical difficulties before we were trying to record. Yeah, there's just probably going to be some weird things with this one, folks. We haven't recorded in a year, so we're probably really, really rusty on this whole whole thing. But much like Quentin Tarantino's work, it could be non-linear, so we could always go for that format. Keep you guys us. Yeah. If you're ever confused in this podcast, it's on purpose. Yes. (laughs) It'll come full circle. I don't know if we've established it, but we're Skyping right now and all recording on our own little home digital audio workstations on our computers. And then we're going to compile the audio and then I'm going to edit it. Yeah. So this is the first attempt we've ever done trying to Skype. Normally we try to get in the same room and just record that way. But because of the quarantine, we didn't really have a choice. (laughs) Yeah. But I think it'll turn out good. Hopefully. So let's get into it. Quentin Tarantino was born, Quentin Jerome Tarantino was born on March 27th, 1963. He was born in Knoxville, Tennessee. His mother is Connie Pender and his father was Tony Tarantino. So I have a bunch of notes on just kind of his early stuff. Uh, We'll probably get into a discussion about Tarantino's work. I'm just going to run down these quick facts real fast. He dropped out of high school and started working in a porno theater, and I thought that was absolutely hilarious as an usher. (laughs) He took acting classes at the James Burnett Theater Company. He was originally writing screenplays. His early screenplays didn't have too much success. It wasn't until he was hired by Robert Kurtzman for From Dusk Till Dawn. He actually wrote that entire script with, of course, with other writers, but he's mostly the one behind that. In 92, he had the Reservoir Dogs, his first film, appear at Sundance. Also, the non-linear timeline is where that kind of got established with his normal work. Just add one little thing that I felt was kind of interesting was he was actually named after a character from the CBS series Gunsmoke, Quint Asper, which I thought was pretty on brand for him. Even from birth, he's involved in the entertainment industry and somehow, so it just seems like almost predestined. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't find that part. That's kind of cool. You have anything to add, Derek? I have a question. So my understanding is basically, like you said, he did a lot of screenplay, like Dust Till Dawn and stuff. That was kind of where he started. Well, porn, apparently, which I didn't know. But was Reservoir Dogs was his first full movie from he wrote the concept, the storyline, the script. He directed it, right? It was fully his first movie. Yes, it was completely his. I don't think he wrote the script, but I'm pretty sure everything else was him. But don't quote me on that. Technically, the first screenplay he wrote was at 14, uh, was it Captain Peach Fuzz and the Anchovy Bandit. So (laughs) to be precise, you know, that was his breakthrough (laughs) script. Got you. Yeah, but as far as I know, Reservoir Dogs was pretty much him, his entire conception from start to finish. But I'm not sure exactly if he was the one who wrote it or not. Okay, I'd be curious to know, because I feel like Pulp Fiction in those movies, he wrote the full script, did he not? My notes show that he did write the the script for Westboro Dogs in three and a half weeks, it looks like. So, Jeez. yeah, it looks like he's, yeah, no, he plugged that one out in a hurry. 
Well, the budget um, was really low on that movie, too. Right. I didn't do any research for this. I just remember reading one time his budget was, like, under a million. I think from what I saw, it was, like, 20000 But I keep seeing different numbers all over the internet, so I'm not 100% sure. But it was super low. Like, he had basically nothing. It plays to his advantage, though, because he writes dialogue pretty well. And his dialogue heavy in a lot of his movies. 100%. So, let's just kind of list off his many great movies. All of them deserve a good watching for our listeners. Of course, there's Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, which, interesting fact about that, that was actually one movie, but because of its run length, it was five hours or something like that. He decided to split it in half and make it into two volumes, but it was all filmed at the same time. Grindhouse, Death Proof was another one, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, The Hateful Eight, and his latest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Also Four Rooms, right? With um, Tim Roth? Was Did he direct that? I thought, but maybe not. I'm only including the movies that he fully directed himself. Oh, okay. I didn't include like I the projects that was, he collaborated not. on or anything like that. Oh, okay. Because he's done like a billion collaborations with Robert Rodriguez and he directed a small segment of Sin City. I know that, but he wasn't the overall director. So for those movies, he, he and the movies themselves have received seven Oscars, seven BAFTAs, which is the British Oscars for people who don't know, uh, eight Golden Globes, eight Saturn's Awards. I read like a joke somewhere that like Quentin Tarantino may be the only person who could pull off like the MTV Music Award and the Palm Door. It's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's the kind of guy who could straddle like both, both spheres perfectly well. Should we go through his, uh, I want to say discography, but cinematography? Filmography? What do call it? Filmography, thank you. What's that? What's the one after uh, Reservoir Dogs? Uh, Pulp Fiction, I think, was his second. That sounds right. Sounds like a classic. Yeah, exactly. That's like a good one two punch to start off with. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Reservoir Dogs, he got a lot of a cult following almost, it seems like. Right. Like he started his independent career, but then Pulp Fiction was the dagger of, all right, I'm a top tier director now and like movie creator, but still has a cult fan base that got even bigger with that movie. But just that cast alone, I feel like. Of Pulp Fiction, you know what I mean? Like Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis, John Travolta. I think just being able to cast like John Travolta, who at that point was, you know, this washed up guy, you know, Saturday Night Fever, and everyone's like, hey, whatever happened to that guy? And like, I think that's when he began his, his uh, trend of recasting people who have sort of been cast aside, so to speak. That same thing that happened with uh, Pam Greer in Jackie Brown, which was another brilliant casting decision. Mm-hmm. But I read an interesting quote where someone like asked him about that, and he says he's like sort of doesn't look at it as reviving careers necessarily. He just kind of sees like who would be like the coolest person to cast in that role, and he just goes with it. So yeah, he so he sort of yeah. just like plays he, by his own rules. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think he looks at it like that for sure. I saw a thing, and he said that he just really liked John Travolta's acting. You know, grew up watching his movies and stuff, and just really liked his acting. And he actually wrote the part of Samuel Jackson's character for Samuel Jackson. When he was writing the story in his head, he had Samuel Jackson to be that part. And it's so evident, even the intro scene, you know what I mean? It's like, so obviously it's supposed to be Samuel Jackson. Did I stutter? 
Well, the cool thing is, too, is, like, he is such a student of film. Apparently, like, when he did Reservoir Dogs and he casted uh, Harvey Keitel, he was so blown away and not expecting his debut film to have a big name that from movies that he watched, like Taxi Driver, to be in his, like, debut film. At this point, he was working as, like, a at a video store or something in L.A., and to get a fairly big name like that to take a chance on his movie. Like, that's got to be, you know, as someone who's, like, 30 years old just getting into the industry, that's got to be, like, a like a mind bug. Oh, for sure. Yeah, people you're fans of being in your movies. It happened, I feel like, pretty quick, from my perspective, at least. Maybe it was a long grind, but it seems like he just kind of was doing screenplays and screen... Well, I guess it did take a long time, huh? You said he was 14 when he wrote one of his first scripts. Wrote. So I guess it took him a while to get to like directing his own films in LA, but yeah, he had his breakout, I feel like. And then it just was like no turning back from there. What's admirable, admirable about it to me is that he hit the ground running like that, but then did it his own way. He didn't conform like to like, okay, this is what ho- mainstream Hollywood movies are. This is what Spielberg does. It was like Pulp Fiction. What the, f- you know what I mean? The fucking movie right. is like inside and out and twisted. You, I had to watch it five times before I really like was like, oh, this is the end. I don't know. And you know what's the cool thing about that? Is I read this Vanity Fair interview from, I think it was either the time Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction came out. And it's like a very like intimate interview. Like they're sort of interviewing him as he's working on like uh, wrapping up Pulp Fiction. And the way he was talking from 1994, he was like TV tropes before TV tropes. He had like yeah. all these like different genres. He's like, oh, this is a like a heist film. Or this is like they're using this trope, and it's like this guy like already had all these like categories and different tools and tropes at his disposal before the internet was like even had all this stuff available for someone to, to write a script. Yeah. He just was such a fan of going to movie stores. It seemed like, and then it seemed like he was so into different like kung fu movies, right? And then he liked. <laughs> heist movies like he was just kind of all over the place and it's like really evident in all the different styles of films he does i feel like he kind of goes for a different angle every time he directs a new film exactly it's like how we cast uh pam greer as uh jackie brown like that that title alone was like an homage to foxy brown from the black exploitation films and now you can tell that this guy just loves movies and just wants to dabble in everything yeah and I think that's what makes it's like a somebody who makes music or like a producer or like a band or any sort of musician that there's great ones that have one sound and then there's great ones that are fans of so much different music that they grew up listening to and then they just can capture it on different albums you know like this one has this feel this one has like a 70s soul feel this one's I think it's really cool when people are just fans of so, of stuff and then they grow really popular with their it's more artistic to me than it is okay we're gonna make this type of movie and conform to this it's just like now nah, I'm gonna make whatever I want. And it's like not only just like blending genres, but uh, I think one of the most like iconic things about Pulp Fiction, for example, was using Dick Dale's uh, Miserloo for that like iconic track, like the bomb. That like that like surf rock kind of kind of part. That's like yeah, like my despite my perfect recreation, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Like everyone like now makes that association. I mean, it was like a popular song in its day, but that was like early sixties. And he resurrects this to that point, like obscure track that now everyone can identify by. It's like, Oh yeah. Pulp fiction. Yeah. 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 If it's the one I'm thinking of the black eyed peas did a version of it. 
I think so. But yeah. I just think of Pulp Fiction. I don't think of anything else like when I hear it. Like, oh, this is the, the Pulp Fiction song. Like, <laughs> Exactly. The Pulp Fiction theme. I'll never hear that song um, when they're at the diner, the 60s diner. You know what I'm talking about? When they're like at the I diner and... So. Again, bad recreation, but it's it's <laughs> every time I hear it now, it's a pretty popular song from back in that day. Like I think Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin's heavily influenced by it. Um, but I just think of Pulp Fiction. It's just like in the soundtrack in my head. And that's the thing with like Tarantino, like he identifies what's gonna be like your hook, what you're gonna take away from it. Mm-hmm. And now he does like add so many layers to it to his films like that. Yeah. He has a very, very unique feel to his movies for sure his cinematography i think it's just all the little things add up to be a movie where instantly you're like oh this is a tarantino film like even if you didn't know you're like oh yeah this is well and even like uh and glorious bastards guy it puts like a david bowie track in there like and this is like a film set during an alternate history world war ii and he's like dropping like david bowie in the middle of it so now he definitely likes to like mix and and blend even if it's not contemporaneous or it's like anachronistic to the scene like he still goes with it just for that that emotional punch Oh, dude, when Jamie Foxx on Django is blasting people and there's just blood everywhere and it's Tupac playing, um, every time <laughs> I see that, I fucking love it, dude. It doesn't yeah. make any sense, like, historically, because it's, what, late 1800s, right? I think, yeah, it was somewhere like the, it was pre-Tupac. <laughs> it was before Tupac. <laughs> it was before 1995, like, and it's just, yeah, it just makes so much sense, though, like, for the scene, just getting his ultimate revenge and just, like, blowing people apart with a revolver to Tupac. (laughs) The thing that's always interested me about Tarantino's films is that he, even in a few interviews that I've seen, he said that he is just a fan of things and he wants to put everything that he's a fan of into his films. And so most directors won't even think about putting something like Tupac into a scene when it's the 1800s or whatever. He really did think outside of the box with a lot of his films and the way he approached the things that he did. Right. Well, and just like the source material for, um, man, I keep going back to Jackie Brown, but he, uh, sampled that movie. Like the source material was Elmore Leonard's, uh, rum punch. And Elmore Leonard was a writer who, uh, he read like a ton of his books growing up and eventually like secured the rights to, to a few of them ultimately, picking rum punch and he was super blown away when elmore leonard reached out to him and and like told him like he did like a great job so yeah just like this obscure novelist that he grew up reading and he ends up uh, adapting like one of his films you can tell he just like loves being able to connect with, with work like that totally it's like jeff said he just sprinkles all kinds of different inspiration in his film and it's very evident I think it's what he's inspired by at the time, too. You know, like, he was clearly really into kung fu movies when he made Kill Bill. And it's fucking awesome. I love it. And it kind of makes you, somebody like myself, like, I never watched kung fu before I watched Kill Bill. After watching Kill Bill, I was like, wow, I really actually want to watch kung fu movies now. And I've seen some. And I'm like, dude, they're fucking, they're awesome. I never realized that they were cool, but. Oh, yeah, they're great. I've been watching kung fu films since I was really young. But it's great to watch Kill Bill and just see how many references he makes some of the really big kung fu movies. And because there's always like a 
old sensei character who's flipping their beard or just like something <laughs> like that. And so it's just great to see him pulling all these random references just to make pretty much a Western kung fu gangster movie. I think about as well as anyone, he can put you in the fan's eye. Even if you're not a fan of a particular genre or a particular anything, he can put you at least on the periphery of that person's field of vision. And you can be like, oh, I get it now. So one thing I always love to talk about, and how can you not talk about it with Tarantino, is the special effects. Specifically, the blood and gore. So most of his movies were done by K&B Effects, which, of course, is Greg Nicotero, uh, Howard Berger, and a ton of other amazing artists like Chris Nelson, Jake McKinnon. They have pretty much been doing Tarantino's blood effects since his early films. If you actually look it up, you'll see that most of their effects are usually Howard Berger and Greg Nicotero for the most part, and Greg Funk in recent years, and then Thomas Bellissimo. Now, as a special effects artist myself, of course, I'm trying to study what they're doing. But anytime I've had a client ask me about a blood gag, I always give them two options. Like, do you want the realistic or do you want the Tarantino? Because (laughs) Tarantino is nowhere near realistic. I was reading something about Kill Bill, the scene where they're fighting the crazy 88. They used... 400 gallons of blood for that entire movie but i'm pretty sure most of that was that scene alone a cool thing about their effects in that so anyone who got their limbs cut off actually had a fake prosthetic put on them that was held together by an electromagnet so whenever she would slice an arm and the arm would just fall they would turn the magnet off and it would just flop onto the ground so i thought that was a pretty cool thing But yeah, they have a tendency to just do these really over-the-top blood gags because Tarantino wants it to be visceral with every single violent thing in this movie is he just wants super visceral effects and he wants blood and guts just everywhere. You know, Tarantino gets a lot of flack for being too gratuitous with his violence or whatever, but I think with him, more than any other director, it opens up a world of infinite possibilities because like they're with like most directors if i watch their movie there's a certain range of outcomes that could possibly happen and it's like okay obviously the main character is not gonna get his head blown off or something but with, with tarantino like i don't even have that to fall back on so i'm constantly unsure where he's going which makes for a great suspense there's just like so many different directions he can go Well, to me, it's kind of funny about the violence thing that people are always critiquing him about that. Because to me, the violence in his movies is more cartoonish. It's just so over the top that there's no possible way it could be real. So it starts to go into that realm of comic book movies or things like that. Because if you did realistic wounds... That's part of the storytelling, too. Is If you did those realistic wounds, they wouldn't be as entertaining. One interesting fact about one of the effects during Django Unchained was there's a point where Leonardo DiCaprio is talking to Jamie Foxx's character and he smashes some glass or something on the tables towards the end of the movie. That wasn't actually planned. 
and he was actually bleeding out there because he was just so committed to the moment and he just wanted to keep rolling that I'm just like, that's intense, but also kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> keep rolling. Use it. Use it. Yeah. That's why he's one of the best actors of all time, in my opinion, is scenes like that. I've actually read that too, and I've seen it twice since I read that. When you watch that scene, knowing that it really happened, and you watch his face, like, because he hits the table in frustration, and then you see him kind of look down, and he's holding his hand, and then he wipes the blood on her face. I don't know if that was after they rolled and it was fake blood, but either way, he rolls through the scene, and it carries into his just frustration with the fact that they're hiding all that, you know, in the scene, like, that they're hiding that he's, like, a slave, and what they're really there for and shit. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, I couldn't find too much information whether or not. I know his injury was actually real, but I don't know if it was fake blood on the actress when he touched her face and stuff. So yeah. I'm assuming it was, but some actors will really commit to things like that. So it's it's hard to say. I like to think it's real because, yeah, I don't know. It just makes it super crazy that they went that far with it. And afterward, they were probably laughing. Like when they did the cut, they're probably like, whoa. Dude, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I can only imagine Tarantino's reaction after that scene. He was like, dude. <laughs> he, he probably was, but DiCaprio is one of those actors who pr- probably didn't tell the medics that it happened also. Yeah. And so they're just like, oh, yeah, that was just part of the blood gags. And he's like, no, actually. <laughs> yeah. There are several controversies that um, Tarantino has also been involved in that – we couldn't do a podcast without at least mentioning them. Kind of already talked about it a little, but the gun violence thing was a big one. Directors like Spike Lee have called him out on racial slurs and how his overuse of them in movies like Jackie Brown and Django and Hateful Eight. He's been called out on that a lot. And he just always kind of replies with he's just trying to write a story and that he's just creating a character for those stories. The other controversies that he got involved with are honestly a little messed up considering today's current climate. But um, apparently he kind of defended Harvey Weinstein when Uma Thurman accused him of being a rapist, basically. And same with Roman Polanski about the 13-year-old girl who Roman Polanski slept with. He also had several things with Uma Thurman because she got into a major car accident on set in Kill Bill that permanently screwed up her knees and her back because they said that the stunt was fine. But one of the production's assistants or something told her that the, the stunt was not fine and she still did it anyways because of Tarantino wanting to have it so she wasn't using a stunt woman as much as possible. So, yeah, there's been a couple things that were a little... He did apologize for the Roman Polanski thing and then later on the Harvey Weinstein thing as well. But, yeah, there's... I really do like his movies and his writing and stuff, but there are times where I'm just like, you probably shouldn't have pushed that button. It's hard because, like, with a lot of directors, there's a fine line between, like, brilliance and madness. And you see that with directors like John Landis... Stanley Kubrick, Alfred Hitchcock was notorious. It's hard because, like, on the one hand, as people, there's a lot of their actions that you can't really defend. But on the other hand, their creative output, their artistic output is so brilliant. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, a certain point where you have to kind of compartmentalize. (laughs) Otherwise, like, I could never watch uh, Annie Hall without, you know, having to defend Woody Allen. So. Fair enough. 
Yeah. I didn't actually know any of that about the Harvey Weinstein and all that. I have heard about the use of racial slurs in his movies, which I think is just kind of silly that people like really... I mean, if it's one thing if it's off camera and he's saying it like weirdly and stuff, it's like, okay, that's weird. But in his movies, like, I mean, Django Unchained, you're talking like post-slavery. I think he's really trying to set the the time there. And there is some movies like Reservoir Dogs where they use it and you're kind of like, whoa, like literally like saying you're acting like a N-word, that kind of stuff. Do I think he's racist? No, especially since he's like literally friends with Samuel Jackson and like Samuel Jackson talking about people calling him racist is pretty funny. If you haven't seen that, there's an interview. And he's like, do I think he's racist? He's like, I've never played roles where my character is so much smarter than everybody around me and like so much more knowing what's going on than anybody else. Like, especially think about Pulp Fiction. Samuel Jackson's character is the whole like revelation thing and like pulling out and then John Travolta ends up getting killed, you know, after that. Django Unchained is like the ultimate story about somebody who's racially oppressed in the in the midst of slavery just ending and getting his ultimate revenge on everybody. I think sometimes the use of the N-word, obviously in Django, is just because it's part of the kind of gruesomeness. But I think he uses racial slurs in his movies like he uses violence and gore. Because most people be like, why yeah. do I want to watch him? Like my sister would be like, why do I want to watch a movie where there's like blood and guts and shit? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just a movie. It's it's like, it's shock factor. It's like part of the emotions of watching a movie. I think the the use of like the N-word and like racial slurs also does that. Also, it's comedic in one aspect, like on Pulp Fiction when he's like dead N-word storage, you know, that whole scene. To Samuel L. Jackson, like, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it because I don't think he really genuinely is, like, racist to his core, even though he uses them in his movies a lot. Then again, I've never been on set with him. and I, I, I've never heard, I don't know if you guys have read that he's, like, like, if Spike Lee was accusing him of that because it's in his movies or is it because he uses it, like, to actors and actresses? Like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's any actual personal examples of like racism. I think it's the the main critique is that he's appropriating a lot of this language. But even then, like it's kind of hard to separate that out from like he wants to reflect the grittiness of life, but it's no, it's it's a gray area. For sure. Like I said, I think it's hard to believe he's like truly racist when he's writing characters that are African-American or like, you know, whatever race they are, Jackie Brown, who are super smart and like main leads and like get the revenge. And like, it's kind of hard to believe that he's like truly racist, but who knows? Yeah. Maybe he sees racial slurs as, like I said, gore, like a shock factor almost adds like kind of a power to like the scene and whatnot. But I feel like that really is the case, because if you've ever watched interviews with him, a lot of the things he he says he does is for the shock factor of it. Is so people are having visceral reactions, not just to the blood, but to the language, to the story, to the nonlinear elements. Because that that throws a lot of people off about Tarantino movies. Also, is the nonlinear timescape, and people are just like, "Wait, what's happening?" Like Pulp Fiction took me so many times to watch to be like. Oh, there's five stories going on right now. <laughs> well, and he's even said, I found a, there's like another interview. I can't remember if it was after um, Django Unchained or Inglorious Bastard, but he mentioned that his movies are like kind of movies you need to watch, like not just like several times, but just over a dozen times, just so you can become friends almost with the characters and get to know them on like a personal level so and that's like the kind of approach that he takes to movies is he watches movies so many times like he just gets to know these characters intimately which is i think it's an interesting way to kind of approach cinema like that is just getting yeah. involved with the characters i i'll admit like with a 
handful of exceptions. Like, I don't really watch, like, a movies, like, that many times repeatedly. So I imagine, like, getting to that point, though, like, you just get inside these characters' heads, which adds this completely different dimension. So, once again, we were having technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen. So we kind of lost our train of thought because it's either me or Derek who are just having problems today with our recordings. John seems to be free of that for some reason. With my ancient laptop. My recording's fine. It's my damn Skype. My phone it keeps... Same. I don't know. I'm just going to jump into this line of questioning. Out of all of the Tarantino characters and out of all of the Tarantino movies, who is your favorite character and what is your favorite movie from Tarantino's universe? John? Oh, man. I'm going to need a (laughs) second for this one. (laughs) It's it's cliche, but I can tell you my favorite movie is Pulp Fiction. I don't care how cliche it is. It's that fucking good. Um, Close second. For favorite movie, I love Kill Bill, but um, I do love Reservoir Dogs too, and I watched that recently, so it's kind of fresh on my mind. But I would say Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie. My favorite character, my favorite character, that's a tough one. I wasn't ready for that. Catching you all (laughs) off guard. (laughs) (laughs) One that comes to mind... I don't know if it's my favorite, but one that comes to mind, probably one of my favorite acting performances on all of his movies is Tim Roth on Reservoir Dogs. I love, I still to this day say that the best scene of somebody dying is Tim Roth on Reservoir Dogs, hands down in my opinion. Like when he's in the back seat and he's bleeding out, like that is what makes Tarantino's movies, Tarantino's movies. You know, most movies it's like Ben Stiller on Tropic Thunder kind of, kind of like that's what he's mocking where it's like, come closer. Or they're just like, super calm and like i just love tim ross acting where you're like wow this is like somebody young that didn't want to die like it's pretty crazy and his acting in general i think is really good on that movie when he's bleeding out and then the cops like he cut off my ear man like i'm deformed and he's like he basically just goes off he's like shut the fuck up man i'm dying over here like the whole time you're watching it you're just like whoa and there's no soundtrack in that movie, side note, as far as I know, other than like the intro song and whatnot. But like throughout the movie, it's literally just a warehouse and then them talking about how like they got fucked by the police. And yeah, it's a great movie. I'd say that's probably one of my favorite acting performances by a character in a Tarantino film. I'll have to think about favorite character. I'll get back to you on that. that that's still a pretty good, uh, solid answer, though. Good choice. For me, I'm going to have to say my favorite would be favorite movie would probably be Kill Bill. I'm just a big fan of Japanese culture, Chinese culture, Western. So like it, it's the perfect movie for me rolled into one. And I did like the whole revenge plot thing and like just kind of the cheesy music of it every now and then. The horrible recreation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then favorite character. So I actually got two. They're kind of tied. The first one is Steve Buscemi's character in Reservoir Dogs. Absolutely loved that character. And then I forget the actor's name, but the cleaner in Pulp Fiction. Cleaner. Oh. I can't remember his name, though. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wolf, right? Yeah, yeah. 
What about you, John? Lots of cream, lots of sugar. <laughs> Man, since you brought up Steve Buscemi as uh, as Mr. Pink, I completely <laughs> I'm rethinking my answer, but I have a tie. It's Christoph Waltz's what's his name? A Hans Landa from uh, Inglorious Bastards. I just thought that that was such a great casting decision, like the Jew hunter, quote unquote. Like he was just <laughs> so like I would not want this guy trying to like hunt me down. This he was like it was like so great at this role. The dialogue that in that movie, especially in that first scene, he, this guy was like the Terminator just so chillingly analytical and precise. Yeah, it, it would have to be either him or... I think it's a toss between that and uh, Jackie Brown, Pam Gurr's character from Jackie Brown. This airline stewardess who keeps like getting involved with the seedy underworld. It's just so... She does like a great job balancing between these like two worlds, between like trying to get her life back together, but also getting roped into the seedy underworld, and does a great job at that. My favorite film, though, I that was the question I was expecting, and I was like, going through that one, and I just I keep trying to not pick Pulp Fiction, but <laughs> I, I just keep cutting pull back to that. There's like so much to enjoy from that film it's just so uh, i mean a lot of his films a lot of moments from his films are, are iconic but that's the one that keeps standing out so that's the one i gotta go with i think that film also has one of the most iconic lines well there's a lot of iconic lines in that but the royale with cheese it's like <laughs> everyone knows that line no matter who they are if you make that reference they're just like yeah royale with cheese <laughs> What that about was the Whopper? It. I don't know. I didn't go to Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> That's like peak Tarantino dialogue, too. It's just like, it's so realistic, but so just there's a brilliance to it. Yeah, it's probably the most quotable movie of all time. Like, I don't even think it's opinion based. I think it's probably the most quotable movie <laughs> ever. And like to people who've never seen it, that line makes no sense. Royal with cheese. You're like, what? But I just love how natural the scene goes, too. And they're getting ready to go bust some guys, you know, literally kill some guys, some gangster shit. And they're talking about burgers. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Favorite character. You said Christoph Waltz and it hit me. Christoph Waltz's character on Django is probably my favorite. It's almost the reverse of what he is on Inglorious Bastards, where he's like really smart, but he's a good guy. I don't know. I love his character. He's super witty. He's very comedic the whole movie, even before he dies. His line where he says, um, a vita say. He's like, I, I would normally say a vita say, but seeing as though that's, that means until we meet again and I never want to see you again, I will simply say goodbye. <laughs> I love that line. And they were literally going to leave the mansion. And then he's like, shake my hand. Like a deal's not done until you shake my hand. And because Leo did that, the end is what the end is. They would have left. But he was like, all right. He's like, I can't resist. I got to, and he kills him. <laughs> the last time I watched that, I realized, I was like, wow, how different the ending would have been if Leo didn't have to be a prick or Leo's character. Yeah, that would be kind of interesting to see how that would have turned out. Right? It would have been a lot less bloody. It's also how he writes his movies, though, because one of the reasons that Inglorious Bastards took 10 years to write was because he didn't have like, an ending for it. He doesn't map out his movies beforehand. He just sort of goes with whatever the character's instinct is. So for like any of his characters, go pick a particular 
direction to go or like choose to a particular action he's getting in their head and just like going with whatever they feel is they would naturally do so like that yeah that's a brilliant scene when you think about it that way because they he was gonna leave but then leonardo dicaprio had to be a, i forget the name of his character what is it um i can't remember but yeah like his character's so snide and he just was trying to make a point he's like yeah i got the best of you bitch and he's like shake my hand deal's not done till you do and then christoph waltz character was like all right you have to be a prick. Well, I'm going down with my dignity and blasting you. Like, <laughs> um, to keep it interesting, John. Since I also picked Pulp Fiction, if that movie didn't exist in his filmography, what would be his your like the runner up for you? Oh man, uh, <laughs> let's see. I I gotta lean towards Jackie Brown. I think that's the one that that also just like left an impression on me. It's Sort of, like, again, like that non-linear aspect, like that scene where they're at the shopping mall and mm. uh, with the, the bag of money and just like having like the different vantage points. It's so, I don't know, that that movie has kind of like stuck out, I think. Underrated for sure. I, I've only seen it once. I need to watch it again. If I had to choose a runner-up movie, I'm definitely going to have to say, uh, well, of course, Pulp Fiction, but we've all basically talked about that as much as we can. <laughs> I'm actually going to say Inglorious Bastards. I just really liked that alternate history type movie. And it was just kind of fun and hilarious compared to some of his other movies. Nothing like burning a room full of Nazis. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was that's my runner up too. it's a hard decision because Kill Bill and Django. I absolutely love those movies, but I would have to go with Inglorious Bastards. It also has one of my favorite scenes he's ever done, which is when they're in the basement playing cards and drinking. That's oh, one yeah. of the most tense scenes ever. Like, I love that scene. Yeah. Two of his uh, most tense dialogues are like the beginning of that film and that scene when the guy is like, you know what? Your accent does sound somewhat suspicious. And then it just unwinds from there. Oh, dude. Yeah. He knows he's just trying to get him. He's just trying to catch him. He knows already. And you know he knows. And you're like, uh. Yeah, that's genius. And the whole three thing, dude, that, I mean, that's, I don't know how he comes up with yep. that shit. <laughs> Like how he like writes that, but that's <laughs> incredible writing for sure. It's that attention to detail. Yep, exactly. I gotta admit my little shame here. I haven't actually seen all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. I haven't seen Jackie Brown. I haven't seen Hateful Eight. And then I haven't seen the latest one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Damn. I haven't seen that last one either. <laughs> you guys have you both haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? <laughs> nope. Damn it. I was I was hoping we would talk about that movie. Okay, well, <laughs> hey, you totally can, man. But we'll just be like, yeah, sure, nodding our heads. <laughs> I won't say anything about the ending, but it's a hundred percent different than any movie he's done, in my opinion. I saw it in theaters, and the whole time I was kind of like, "Where's this going?" That was my experience the first time watching. I mean, it's Pulp Fiction too, right? The first time you see it, you're like, "Where's this going?" Like after I saw it, and I I sat on it, and I talked about it. I was like, that was a really good movie. And then watching it a second time, you kind of pick up things. And yeah, it's it's different for sure. It's not for everyone, but I liked it better than Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight was good too, though. Yeah, I keep seeing it on Netflix and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, I'll watch it later. And it's always that. It's just like, yeah, I'll watch it later. <laughs> watch it in one sitting. And like, the only thing I can say is that it's it's got a slow start. But if you're patient with it, it's a good movie. If you have patience and like you you respect his dialogue. So I think you'll enjoy it cool 
I've talked to some people and they're like, yeah, it's boring as shit. And I'm like, did you finish it? They're like, no, I just couldn't get through the first hour. I'm like, all right, fair enough. I think that's the hard thing with a lot of more casual fans with his movies is they are really long and you really do kind of have to pay attention. So a lot of people mm-hmm. have a hard time dealing with that. And so they're just like, um, uh, I, I don't really want to watch this. They're yeah. typically like two and a half, three hours long. And then there, there'll be like a scene with like 20 minutes of dialogue in one long take. But it's it's so worth it if you just sit and like ride it out. Just enjoy the ride. Yeah. And I think like we said before, it's for some people and some people not. Like for me, I can sit and watch a 20 minute Tarantino dialogue scene in every word enjoy because you can feel the tension and like I don't know I think it's there's something about the way it's filmed and written that it's it's really interesting to me that maybe uh, some people it's not but maybe some people want to watch John Wick you know I don't (laughs) (laughs) and it's as close to being just improvising without actually being improvised he's still mapped it out but at the same time like he's again like put himself into these characters and just gone with their instincts rather than like his own if that makes sense yeah totally there is one other thing that i really like about tarantino that i read in a few interviews that he really wants things to be practical as much as possible he hates cgi and he hates that the industry is using so much of the cgi and of course i'm special effects guy i wanted practical also so he's one of the few directors who still keeps practical up and still does that kind of thing but he's also one of the few directors who is still using film cameras not the 4k 3d cameras that are out there now or just 4k or 6k or whatever people are using he still wants things to be able to be on a 35 millimeter film which very very few directors still use film nowadays yeah yeah i think he shot hateful eight on was it 35 millimeter or was is there like i don't know enough about film but he shot the whole thing on a really yeah, old he school. shot yeah he shot that on 35 same with django There's actually videos out there of them using this like giant, massive camera that is just a 35 millimeter film camera, but they're still out there, I guess. That's cool. It's part of the feel of his movies, I would say, at this point. Like, yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Do you guys have a favorite scene from a Tarantino film? I know there's so many great ones, but that's a hard one. Mine is going to be the opening from Inglorious Bastards. I remember like the first time I watched that, just kind of like what I said earlier about not knowing what direction he's going to go. With that scene, uh, I assumed that it was just going to be one of those things where Londa was going to just like leave and fall for it. But just the fact that he sensed what was going on. Oh man, yeah. As soon as, I, as he started with that scene, I'm just like, okay, this could go anywhere. So that that's yeah. my leaving you in the dark but then yeah that that is a crazy scene for sure okay so i actually have two but they're very closely tied to me so the first one is in kill bill when she's fighting the with the samurai swords and fighting the crazy 88 um there's one point where they go into silhouette and i just love that callback to uh kurosawa's films because that was the most famous samurai films where Kurosawa and there was always a scene where they were just in silhouette and then like someone would fall and die kind of a thing so I I really liked that callback but my favorite scene besides that one with actual dialogue is Samuel L. Jackson's preacher speech in Pulp Fiction 
for me, I guess, definitely one that comes to mind is Kill Bill when she's in the coffin. It's iconic. In the coffin, buried 10 feet under the dirt, and she uses her uh, samurai techniques that she learned from Sensei to get out and dig herself out. Always gives me a little claustrophobia when that scene starts. I'm like, oh. That is a pretty brutal scene, yeah. But I do laugh that she just walks into a diner asking (laughs) for water immediately after that. (laughs) I'd like a glass of water. (laughs) Dirt flying off of her as she walks over. Yeah, that's great. And then it's got to be, there's so many. It's Another one that comes to mind is what I already mentioned, which is Inglorious Bastards when they go down in the basement and they're undercover. I mean, that's a, that's such a good scene. Bloodbath at the end. And gosh, what's the other one? I'm trying to think of one from Pulp Fiction, but the whole movie just is. I mean, definitely one of them is when Bruce Willis gets the katana and goes in and Marcellus Wallace blows the dude away with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good one, too. Also, the introduction of the cleaner. I love that yeah. scene. It's like he's so matter-of-fact and just so in control of the situation right from the get-go. What does he say? I'll be there in 40 minutes, and it's like 39 minutes and 45 seconds or something, <laughs> and he pulls up. <laughs> it's like on the dot. I love it. Yep. Oh, another one I just thought of, um, another one from Kill Bill. As you can tell, that's one of my favorite Tarantino films. But when they're fighting in the trailer the oh yes that was such a good scene i'm just like yes brutal scene dude when he pulls her eye out and she's screaming yeah i was actually um reading something on that that tarantino originally wanted to do that scene outside of the trailer but it was one of the other actors who's like no we should do it inside the trailer so it's so so much more brutal instead of just a normal sword fight Ooh, yeah good idea i love when she grabs the sword and you were talking about the music earlier from Kill Bill, kind of that corny Western, like, Kung yeah, Fu. Yeah. And then she comes running and stops, and it's like, and they have that little, like, stare-off moment. I love that. So that spaghetti Western soundtrack just makes that. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then the lines are super corny, but in such a good way. Like, something between us girls I've been meaning to ask you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Well, we figured out our favorite scenes, our favorite characters, our favorite movies. Is there any other things you guys want to talk about, or should we just wrap this up? I have one more question. Okay, go for it. What do you guys think is in the case on Pulp Fiction? Ah, oh, I knew you were going <laughs> to ask that. <laughs> John, you, you could, you're, you feel free to take this one. Oh, man. I'm going to guess it's the script to um, Captain Peach Fuzz. (laughs) (laughs) That's the hidden gem. Yes. What we all want to see. I want to say that it's just mentioned thing in the film, a Royale with cheese. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Don't know what you're going to get. Derek, what about you? I, I, dude, I don't know. I think it's just... I think the way he shot it and wrote it is that it's supposed to be whatever, you know, whatever anybody's like desires the most is in that. Like, that's the only thing I can think. It's like I a mean, Rorschach. It could be, yeah, like it could be money, but it's like, that's kind of lame. I think that's why he left it interpretive and it wasn't just money. For Vincent, it's probably heroin. Boo, safe answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nope, I'm not creative enough. Can't think of one. You guys said Royale with cheese in the script for uh, Captain Beach was. <laughs> Yeah. Well, boo. That basically sums up the Tarantino episode. As you can tell, we are not 
as dialogue driven as she is. <laughs> but, True. Um, Say Captain Peach Fuzz again. I double dare you. <laughs> <laughs> I triple dog you, motherfucker. <laughs> All right. So. Keep an eye out for more episodes. We're going to try to do more recordings. I always say that, but life gets in the way. But we're going to try to figure this out. Thanks for listening through our horrible stumbling through technical issues. I think John was the only one who didn't have any technical issues. And to that, I say, fuck you, sir. Fuck you. (laughs) Well, my FaceTime did make us use Skype, so... I contributed. Fair enough. Hopefully my audio is the best sounding because I'm going through some nice gear and stuff. So my FaceTime or my Skype was shit, but see, I had to switch my mic like halfway through to my built in laptop mic. So it's going to be like nice audio for a little bit. And then out of nowhere, just really bad audio. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So have fun with that, Derek. (laughs) Yeah. I got my work cut out for me on this one. (laughs) That's for sure. Some good content, I think. So, If you want to know more about Quentin Tarantino, go ahead and Google search him. There's a lot of information out there. Follow us on Facebook. That's actually really our only social media right now. We don't actually have any other platforms. We do have SoundCloud, so you can leave comments and stuff on there. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at itsanerdthing at gmail.com. That should be, or was it iantpodcast? I honestly don't remember. Try both. (laughs) Let us know what you find. Exactly. Yeah, let us know so we know which ones to respond (laughs) to. I'm Jeff Edwards. John Harrigan. Derek Stevenson. And this was It's a Nerd Thing. Have a good day, folks. Bye.